Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 22 for the 2nd of September 2022. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we take a look at a bunch of security features, including Cloud Armor, Google Chronicle, and Virtual Machine Threat Detection. We also look at what Google's shutting down. And you hear a bit of an opinion from myself and the co-host. But before we get to any of that, I will introduce the co-host, Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? I am doing awesome. Thanks, Banky. How are you going, mate? Good, 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 good. Glad to, to be here. Excellent. I uh, thought I'd just mix things up on the intro a little bit there. Yeah, that's good. One take. It was nice. <laughs> smooth. <laughs> One take. Smooth. <laughs> a professional operation around here. Yeah, we are. We are. We're getting better and better by the week. Um yeah, just put. I thought I'd start throwing the date in at the start, you know, because uh, yeah, it's kind of one of my little pet peeves, and I realised I was doing it. If you read a blog article and there's no date stamp on it, um, it happens more often than not, and you'll notice it all the time now. It's <laughs> yeah. it's very annoying. You're like, oh, when it was published like two years ago. Mm, that's right. Deprecated. <laughs> that's deprecated now. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So, uh, oh, what's happened during the fortnight? Oh, I've uh, I've been studying, studying hard for the PCA. I'm actually booked in for the twelfth of September. Oh, that's getting uh, close now. It's getting close now, and uh, my confidence level is not not where I was hoping it would be. <laughs> not really hoping. Not really at the level I was hoping. But I got two weeks. So, I'll, and this I'll is your research, yeah. Like this, you've had this it is my research. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be keen to hear how you're going. I'm studying the PCA as well, uh, so I'll see how you go on the exam, and then I'll yeah. I'll, I'll frame up when when I'm going to book mine. I I just my logic was behind it was my cert expires at the end of September, so if I if you fail it, you can rebook it after two weeks. So that's why I booked the twelfth, so I can rebook it before the end of September. Cool. That's my logic because then if you fail it again, you got to wait. What three months, I think. So um, it's, right. it's all blown then, blown, yeah. And um, did you order all your swag from the last time you did your certs? I remember you had uh, a few sitting there waiting to be claimed. Uh, I have ordered my swag, so I hadn't claimed it. Um, and when you finish an exam, they send you a code in an email, and the code's buried right down the bottom of the email. And I always wondered, how do you get this swag? What's going on? And any, anyway, I I did finally take a close look at it, and the code's right there, and it's, it's easy. You just go to the website and put the code in and bang, ordered swag. But I hadn't done it for five certs. So <laughs> got a few orders on their way to you. Go in and put a few orders in, uh, which is actually good because I was able to make sure I didn't get any duplicates of swag. <laughs> I'd just make sure they're all different. And anyways, as it turns out, they've come back and said, oh, this one's not available. So I've, I do actually need to go back and reorder one that's not available. Right. I've, I've put in two orders for the exams that I've done, um, but like they're both hoodies. <laughs> like they're different yep. hoodies, but they're both hoodies, but they haven't come yet. So Yeah, there you go. So you've got two hoodies. So I was able to get like a hoodie and a bag and a t-shirt and a jacket and they're all, they're all different. Yeah, nice. Uh, but yeah, just it, it, that, that code 
was two years old and it was still usable. So it still hangs around. Oh, awesome. Um, other than that, what did we have? Well, we had the hackathon in Casna last Friday. Yeah, playing around with Cloud Run and competing with each other in it. It was very fun. It was fun. I had to leave early. What? Uh, how did that wind up, Dave? Um, so it was it was pretty clever. Um, you basically make these little uh, microservice functions that get called by this orchestrator and. You had to uh, kind of build some logic into how you wanted your little microservice to move around an arena and 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 battle against the other players. It was it was it was pretty fun. It was getting quite uh, competitive towards the end. <laughs> right. And what did the solution end up being? Did it was there any sort of clear winner? With a, with a working algorithm? Yeah, there was. Um, <laughs> some, some people had some success with just, like, finding a corner to sit in and just shooting <laughs> out at anything that was next to them. Um, nice. I, I didn't see anyone write anything that was, like, sort of hunting down the top player. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, maybe if you had a little bit more time, you could you really build out that logic. Yeah, because the point that I got to, I, I figured out that the API would return your position on the grid. And then you could figure out where you are, and it would actually return the position of all the players on the grid. Mm-hmm. And if you were smart about it, you could store that, and then you could chase other players down. Yeah, I was uh, I was going at it in a different way. I thought I'd uh, try and make it a little bit more like interactive, like a console game. So I was I was trying to write mine where I could sort of send it <laughs> send it commands of my on my own API endpoint, so that like I could say like. Instead of having the AI try and like hunt down someone else, I could I could manually move around the grid. I didn't yeah, quite right. get it there in the time we had available, though. Yeah, yeah, that would have required a bit more work. I think that's the same sort of lines I was thinking along as well. Um, just sort of more game logic, I guess. Yeah, it was a good bit of fun though. It was um, yeah. yeah, nice way of using a cloud run. Really and um, I will include in the show, show notes, um, we did that GCVE talk, uh, myself and Ian, a few weeks ago. Uh, I will include in the show notes a link to that, um, the video that Google has published, and you can go and watch that and see what we were talking about in GCVE. Yeah, it was really nice. It was actually yeah. it was good to um, yeah, yeah, it was also be like called out for the work that we did on that project and... Um, yeah, I had Google well send me a nice, nice bottle of wine and a nice little cookbook. Oh, today. lovely! Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, so it was good. And um, you up to anything else yourself, Dave? Uh, yeah, I've had a couple of things going. So I can't. I think it was last um, last time we were recording. I I was just waiting on my Raspberry Pi to turn up. I was trying to modify my three D printer, and I've hit a bit of a roadblock <laughs> because I need. A long pinned, like an 18 millimeter long PCB header to be able to join that board to the, like the controller board on my 3D printer. And do you think I could find one anywhere? No. No is the answer. The closest option I've been able to find is sort of like I have to buy like a pack of a hundred <laughs> um, from like, a, you know, like an electronics kind of like bulk supplier. And I'm like, I don't really want to spend like 50 bucks for what is like a $1 part, but um, mm, mm. I might end up just having to sort of bite the bullet and grin and bear it. But um, anyway, I'm still, I'm still hunting. Maybe I, if I look uh, more international, I might be able to find yeah. something even yeah, though like pay Al- the postage well yeah but yeah. i could get it from like ally express and then just wait the you know three months for it to arrive yeah 
it's not like it's a, a massively urgent thing. Um, yeah. so yeah, there's that. I think besides that, um, I've also just changed my password manager. It's been a mm. job that I've wanted to do for a while. Um, and so I wanted to look into, uh, one password, which I had used, uh, at a previous employer and, uh, and I'd been putting off making the transition and move, importing everything. Finally, like sat down to do it and I was done within like an hour. <laughs> and it's just, mm. Like, oh, I should have just bitten the bullet and done this ages ago. Um, there's a significantly sort of upgraded uh, interface and it's much more user-friendly and it's nicer from the family sharing um, side of things, which is something that I, I really wanted to get because it was, you know, it's great having your own passwords all locked away, but there's also that little back of my mind like, well, what if I'm not in a position to get my passwords? What if I need to give somebody access to them all? and mm. Um, I think that uh, that gave me a little bit <laughs> bit better a uh, an approach to be able to handle that. <laughs> yeah, I went through the process a while ago too. Went from LastPass to Bitwarden. It was pretty painless, um, and I think Bitwarden's a lot better. Mm. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right then. Uh, well, I think uh, that's enough banter for now. Let's get on with the show. All right, this first story we want to talk about today is this monster DDoS attack. Uh, this was everywhere. I mean, uh, when, when did this happen? 22nd of August, so we're on a fortnightly cycle, so we occasionally some of these stories are a little bit delayed for us. But um, this monster DDoS attack, which peaked at 46 million requests per second. Yeah, that'll Just take your blog down. <laughs> I'll <laughs> take your WordPress site down for sure. It made it the largest layer seven DDoS reported to date. It was 76% larger than the previous one. Now, the previous one was a, a Cloudflare one. And that was only like a couple of weeks earlier or like a month earlier? A, yeah. That was only a couple of weeks earlier, yeah, which was um, 17.2 million requests per second. So um, we're talking, what, three times the size, two, three times the size. So, um, and this article says, to put that in perspective, that's an entire day's worth of Wikipedia requests in 10 seconds. Yeah, that's bonkers. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. But Cloud Armor soaked it up, absolutely soaked it up, and... What the what the owners of the the website were able to do were were able to use cloud adaptive protection. Yes, and which I, they already had that enabled on their uh, on their environment. They already had that enabled exactly. Yep. So it had had uh, a baseline of what their normal traffic looks like, what a normal healthy happy request looks like, and uh, when it started seeing bulk traffic that uh, was out of kilter with that. Um. Yeah, I was able to come up with uh, the signature for the attack. and Yeah, that's right. So the Cloud Armor Adaptive Protection, um, I went and had a bit of a look at it, and uh, it's it's an AI-driven thing. So you when you set up a – you set up Cloud Armor and you set up a WAF rule and you, you make one of the rules um, the Adaptive Protection rule. And after about an hour – monitors your 
regular traffic pattern and programs, I assume programs a model in the background and then it knows what your regular pattern is. And then what it will do, um, I'll just read from the uh, the document page here. After adaptive protection is enabled, there's a training period of at least one hour before adaptive protection develops a reliable baseline and begins monitoring traffic and generates alerts. So it'll train for a while and then it'll alert when there's something outside of that regular model. Um, when the training period is over, you receive real-time alerts when adaptive protection identifies high-frequency or high-volume anomalies in the traffic directed at any of the back-end services associated with that security policy. Now, the cool thing is, um, not only will it identify it, it'll give you the likelihood of that anomaly being an attack, so from zero to one, for instance, um, and then it'll also give you a recommended rule that you should apply to your to your um, to your uh, you know your policy. Uh, and in the example I give here, uh, evaluate adaptive protection, blah blah blah. So it tells you the expression to actually insert into the policy and how that how it's effect, expecting that it will affect your baseline traffic. Yeah, it's very clever. I think the, like the really impressive thing with this is that once they enabled, you know, this generated rule, it's blocking that traffic at Google's edge, like yep. long before it gets anywhere near your web servers, right at the perimeter of Google's environment, they drop it. Yep, doesn't get anywhere near you. And if you uh, you read the article that we'll link in the show note, they were, they said that they were actually able to carry on business as per normal because yep. those DDoSs weren't getting anywhere near them. Yeah, they didn't have to like drop all traffic to their environment. All their their regular users were still able to access. The caveat is, of course, in order to get this, you need to subscribe to Google Cloud Armor Managed Protection Plus. So there is a um, a basic level. Um, and you will get the basic alert, but you won't get the attack signature and you won't get uh, a suggested rule if you have the basic one. You yeah, have right. to be in Cloud Armor Manage Protection Plus. So you'd have to, on your own back, take probably a bit more of a sort of a brute force approach. You might have to drop your traffic for a little while to wait for the DDoS to pass or you have to work yeah, out that's a right. way. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, you could get the, yeah, you, you at least get the alert. And then you could put something in place. Well, with DDoSs is really hard. You can't just yeah. lock a single IP address. No. <laughs> um, um, yeah, Which maybe. It's where the value of this comes in, right? Like you can be under attack and they've got a signature, but your regular business traffic is still able to continue, right? You are not offline. Um, yeah, they're blocking th- based on the signature. Yeah, you got to think yeah. about what's. Yeah. How long can you afford for your company's online presence to be down? How much revenue do you lose <laughs> if you're under a denial of service attack? That, that's right. Yeah, what's it, what's it worth to you, right? Um, but then again, I mean, Cloud Armor Managed Protection Plus for a business, I can't imagine it costs that much, really. All right, so the plus tier for Cloud Armor pricing, the plus tier, 3000 US a month. And includes up to 100 protected resources. So, right, and then know. yeah, thirty dollars a month for everything after your uh, your initial 100. I mean that that would be reasonable depending mm. on the size of your business, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Um, in this case, yeah, it's just paid for itself for these guys, right? Anyway, good article there. Um, some great – if you take a look at the uh, – I'll put links to both that article and to um, the adaptive protection article uh, in documentation on Google Cloud. Find out all about it and learn how to use it as well. Really cool stuff. All right, so continuing on with the security theme, uh, we have this new – well, yeah, new, I guess um, – Google is introducing curated detections in Chronicle. Now, I have to admit, I hadn't even heard of Chronicle before reading this article. <laughs> and then I looked back and I saw one of the guys from within Kazarin posted in our Slack, that, oh, he's a, he's a course on, on Chronicle, so I might have to go and do that. It's just a one-day thing. Um I'll link to the Google Cloud blog. We are thrilled to announce the general availability of curated detections of part of our Chronicle SecOps suite. These detections are built on our Google Cloud threat intelligence team and are actively maintained to reduce manual toil in your team. Right? So that's nice. Yeah. Do you think this is another um, another service where, you know, that's a team that manages their internal, you know, fleet anyway, you know, and Google's own internal security posture? And they're just making this now available out like their other services, like, you know, Assured Open Source and all these things that they do for themselves. Now they can make it available to people like us. Yeah. Why not? Because they would have to have, they would have to have exactly this, right? A bunch of curated detection algorithms Mm -hmm. to, for what we just spoke about in Cloud Cloud Armor, that's doing exactly this, right? Uh, So why not sell it as a service? or an asset. Um, so then the immediate question is, well, what's Chronicle? Um, so you go and look up Chronicle, and I'll link uh, once again to the Google Cloud documentation. Uh, Chronicle is a cloud service built as a specialized layer on top of core Google infrastructure, designed for enterprise to privately retain, analyze, and search the massive amounts of security and network telemetry they generate. Right, so and the good thing is it stores all of it, so you can look historically as well and find out what happened at certain times. Uh, you can search across uh, your entire domain, incident investigation, threat hunting, detection, uh, and third-party apps are included. Uh, your security data data collection, data analysis, uh, can use it for security and compliance. Uh, you can you can do a full search across all of your logs. Uh, you've got various ways of investigating, you know, with uh, insights, assets, IP addresses, uh, hashes and domains. It really is a, f- a fully managed seam. It's a seam, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly right, Dave. Yeah, it's a seam for security data. And now with additional, you know, curated signals and detection and... So with the curated detections, you can uh, enable high-quality curated detections with a single click. Um, you can uh, operationalize data, uh, accelerated investigations and response, which is always good, and map detection coverage to find out where it's coming from. Uh, works on Windows-based threats and network attacks as well. Yeah, big proponents of consuming cloud services because they take that management away for you, right? They, that operational burden of you know, the underlying infrastructure. So mm. that, that's great. Obviously, you know, now you can use, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of services that we can consume that take that toil away from us. But it's great to see 
these additional things coming on where it's like, because previously you might have had, say, Chronicle or Splunk or some other seam, and you've had to build out all your own alerting and you you do that yourself, right? Or you engage a partner or you have someone else who's got that knowledge to build it out for you. So being able to consume that as well from your cloud partner, you know, that really, like, because that's, that's hard skills to hire for. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> and if they're doing the heavy lifting for you, yeah. why not use it? It's like, how many companies have a security research team? Um, that's curating <laughs> threat alerts for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, that's their whole remit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's better. It's better to share this. <laughs> yeah. All right, now, third item that's related to security, and we've touched on this in the show before, is the virtual machine threat detection. Uh, it's now in general availability. Yeah, I think we touched on it a while back when it was in preview. So it's awesome that this is now in GA. Yeah, and so just as a refresher, um, it's a a uh, threat detection engine that works in the hypervisor. Yeah. So you don't even need to... Don't have to install, install an agent. Anything or check anything. Nope. No. It's- and it's primarily looking for crypto miners. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so it runs on the compute engine hypervisors, um, and then it will inspect your VMs that are running on those hypervisors. Uh, checking the memory footprint for like crypto mining activity. Yeah, in the article I'll link in the show notes, says the company has added several new features, like more frequent scanning across many instances. And all you need to do is enable it with a checkbox. It's that simple. Yep. And given that, um, you know, exploits to be able to do crypto mining is like one of the biggest, uh, you know, like risk areas. And think about how much that would cost you from extra compute time. Um, like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have this enabled? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, unless, you know, you, you were worried about prying eyes or something, you know, or you had some security compliance reason. Um, I mean, of course, you do have to be a security command center premium customer to get it. To, <laughs> so yes, just, there is that. <laughs> you're not going to get it in your, uh, you know, your free tier um, <laughs> compute engine instance. Your, your E2 micro instance. Yeah. No. <laughs> But if you have SCC Premium, then you should switch it on. All right, then let's shift gears a little bit here and move away from security. We have another Google Cloud service that has been shut down. And this time it's IoT Core. Now, I think I did mention this on last fortnight's show. But yes, sadly, IoT Core is going away. Now, I... I think you had this problem too, Dave. <laughs> I'm in the middle of doing my PCA course, and of course, part of it is to go in and spin up an IoT <laughs> IoT core <laughs> lab, and you go to the project, and it doesn't even exist there anymore. Yep. You can't create IoT core anymore. No, you can't switch the APIs on all the commands. Nope. Just like nope. <laughs> Google Cloud says no. Yeah, so it doesn't even exist anymore. If you go into a project and try and find it, you won't find it there. But if you had a previously previously existing project where you enabled the API, it'll still be there. So don't panic. Uh, they for now. they plan for now. <laughs> they plan to shut it down in twenty twenty three. It has become clear that our customers' needs could be better served by a network of partners that specialise in IoT applications and services. In other words, Google's just saying, "Nah, we want out." There's other people doing this better than us. <laughs> 
I wonder if there are any. I mean, I, I didn't see any called out in this um, this article, but I wonder if there are any partners, say, that have uh, tools available in like the GCP marketplace that would help fill this gap. Oh, right, something that just runs on compute mm. uh, to do the same sort of thing. Yeah, you wouldn't. There would have to be. And um, if not yet, then soon. <laughs> There'll be people because running it, in to try and fill that gap. Yeah, because you kind of need it, right? Like if you if you've got, um, we, we we talked about it with uh, like management logist, uh, um, manufacturing logistics and and things. You, you, that's that's kind of where you're using it, right? Um, you need something to uh, manage the certificates and connect those devices up and handle all that communication with them. This article does go into the numbers, and you can understand why they pulled the pin on it. Um, according to the market analysis, Google I Google Cloud's IoT managed service market is a mere 0.3%. More than half, precisely 56% of Google Cloud IoT customers hail from the US, while Indian users only account for 6%. Uh, customers use Google Cloud IoT in industries like information technology and services, 32%. Computer software, 10%, semiconductors, 7%, and uh, research suggests that IoT managed services market, Google lags behind NeoWay, Script.io, and Autodesk. So there's some competitors that are doing it. Okay, me to read it. You've got me, like, Googling <laughs> NeoWay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think IoT Core is a very big market share, mm. and, you know, Google does tend to have this habit of spinning up a product, trying it out, and if it doesn't succeed, they will pull the pin on it. Um, and if you famously you can go to the website Killed by Google and there's you know nearly 200 services on there that have been killed off. <laughs> How many of those are just messaging clients? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> like 150 off. <laughs> Stadia is not on there yet, though. <laughs> TBC, <laughs> TBC, yeah. Leave this space blank. Yeah. I won't link to Kill by Google, but go and have a look at that. You'll see all the art. Now, I was very. They do mention in this article Google Reader, and I used to use Google Reader, um, and that was killed by Google. And the ironic thing about that was is that Facebook rose to prominence not long after Google Reader disappeared, and effectively, that's what. Facebook is, right? It's a news aggregator, and that's what Google Reader used to be for me as well. I just aggregate all my blogs into one place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they kind of missed the boat on that uh, and then killed off their own Google Plus, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I had Google Plus, and then I just never used it. I got through the, yeah. um, you know, what it was like invite only. I had my yep. thing. It was all set up, and I... Set up a what are they rings or groups or whatever you had the ways of like sharing information with like different groups of people. I remember like setting it up once and then that was it. I think I posted like two things. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, so you could you like could share have, like, your stuff family. like my work stuff and my family stuff, and it could be different. Yeah, you idea. can do that on Facebook as well. I, oh. I I believe when you go to post a message, there's a little drop down there, and you say who you want it. I only want these groups to see it. I mean, Facebook's uh, dead for me anyway. <laughs> I, I still use Messenger. Messenger's the only thing that I like on there. I don't, yeah. yeah. Hey, you're such a boomer, Dave. <laughs> no, no, boomers still use uh, Facebook. 
I'm um That's what that's what my son would call me. Well that's what he does call me anyway. I said, no, hang on a minute. My father was a boomer. I'm not a boomer. <laughs> anyway, there you go. There's another service that's been killed by Google. All right, look, we'll uh we'll take a bit of a, a different tact here and an article's come up um on InfoWorld by a bloke called Scott Carey and it sort of uh raised a few eyebrows and sort of stirred the pot a little bit, and uh, he's saying that DevOps is dead. Long right, he's saying, sorry. <laughs> yeah, devs don't want to deal with operational concerns for the most part. Wh- where do we sit on this, Dave? All right, so... Because I know you had some opinions on this at the start <laughs> okay, before I, I, the show. Like, like I do, right? And you got, like, some companies have the, the whole you know, kind of schema of like, if you build it, you run it. Right. So if you, you're, you're the developer team, you have this application. Um, your team is the one that also does, does the on call for it as well as feature development. Um, and I think really that this was pushing back against that mindset, but I don't see that as like killing DevOps. Like that's just an implementation of DevOps. Right there, are, there are there are other ways of doing things. Like, yeah, I I get it that you know developers may not necessarily have the skill set of like running the the database backend or you know how best to set up the security of their cloud environment. Right, but that doesn't necessarily have to be in that team. Like, things can be still pulled out to either either dedicated teams or it can be you know consulted in. I think that the SRE model is, you know, that sort of builds out that. You've got, like, experts who sort of know really how to build out a good platform and they'll consult with the developers and help them. But they don't doesn't mean necessarily that the devs have to run it the whole way through. Mm. Mm. I guess my experience generally, and look, this is probably what DevOps was trying to stop, is that the developers either don't care or don't understand about operations. Yes. Yeah, and that, and that was the old thing, right? The, the wall yeah. of confusion where devs just, okay, into prod. <laughs> and then he, he handed well, over to the ops team to go and install and manage. And Yeah, but that I don't think that's going away, right? The, I think this is what this article is trying to say. It's like, if you're a developer, then you just want to cut code. Like, you want to develop. Developers got to develop, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be dealing with features. (laughs) We don't want to deal with the day-to-day, you know, alerting and alarming and making sure everything's up and running and highly available. It's just different, different people. They are different people. That's, that's been my experience. Mm. But like at some point, you know, the application needs to run in production. Like it has to, at some point, be actually pushed out and given to your customers and it needs to have an acceptable level of performance and stability. Otherwise people aren't going to use it. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't matter if it's like the greatest thing in the world that, and that's uptime is like 10%. (laughs) No no one's going to use it. If it's still rubbish, it's rubbish, right? No one's going to use it. Mm. True. Um, And I think that's where like the, the kind of SRE model is nice in that, you know, if you've got your your SLIs and your SLOs all set up properly, you know what your error budgets are. Um, yep. Especially there's the the piece around 
like, yeah, you can have your developers team build it, support it, and, and run it uh, until it's got up to like an acceptable level of stability, mm-hmm. right? And then it can be handed over to like an SRE team to, you know, to keep it up and running. Right? It's accepted and handed over. Correct. You go through your, uh, you know, your production readiness review. Like, yep, this is, you know, this is an actual product. <laughs> We're happy to take on the onus of being on call for it. Um, but the SRE team also then has the ability, if you know the uh, error budgets are, are well-blown and the developer team only wants to work on features and not, uh, don't care about stability, the SRE team then has the ability to push back and go, well, actually, it's back to you. Like, <laughs> if you want to yeah, run then, it yeah. that way, you have to do the support for it. Yeah, but then, you, then you're back to the old fence putting the fence between the two and you're just chucking it over the fence like the responsibility shifts from one team to the other team and what devops was trying to do was get rid of the silos that the the fence in between the two and just have the two amalgamated which is nice right in theory which is what we want Mm -hmm. but getting back to what i was saying before you know developers are different to operational people like they're just completely different headspace and different way of thinking about things. It's it's shown. I think it's shown to be really difficult to get the two to come together. Right. You know, there's certain individuals that they will be in both spaces, but um, you know, generally they're they're different mindsets. Right. Um, that's been my, think, that's what I've seen anyway. I think then where like this article went was then about like. Platform engineering as the the ideal was oh, is. Let's get back to the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that term's been around for a while, right? Yeah, um, I suppose it is different though now. Like not having say, um, you know, like the the old way of like, yeah, cool, we're running the infrastructure platform. We build the network for you. We build the servers, and your applications yep. run on top of them. I think it's different yep. now, right? Like your your platform engineering team might handle. Your, your cloud environment or like the, the guide rails for that that might handle mm. your, your ci cd tooling like building out a standard tool set that then yep and they can do the support for that to an, yep. make it so that developers can run and deploy their code with like the minimum of risk <laughs> and they just feed their code into that pipeline yeah yeah and here's the other thing um it's cultural massive cultural change right i mean to go from an environment where, and we, we just saw this on the last project we're on, to go from an environment where you're used to having like long lead times on changes and long thought out changes and massive big changes as a result to a agile DevOps sort of making micro changes approach. Yeah, deploying to prod multiple right. times a day instead of deploying like quarterly. Multiple, yeah. You're gonna do what? <laughs> you're gonna make you're gonna make changes like that? It's it, it it's just it's very foreign to some of these organisations that that's the way you're gonna work now, and we know it's better, mm. right? You want to make a you want to make a change to a firewall? Yep, bang, we're just sticking we're putting in one line of code and we're gonna deploy it and bang, your problem's fixed, rather than going on for five days and putting in a formal document and waiting all that time while the problem's still hanging around. Um, but, yeah, but smaller change, that, smaller blast radius. Um, I, I think but that it's is also difficult for a lot of people to accept. For sure. And I think there's also yeah. a, like a lot of maturity in having an error budget, right? 
you would have, especially in a lot of enterprises, you would have people who would say, oh, well, our uptime is, uh, you know, we need to be 100%, 100% all the way up. Maybe Mm. we give you a maintenance window at Christmas, (laughs) right, if you're nice. You can't reach 100%. (laughs) No, no, exactly. That's a bad idea. That's (laughs) that's like that old school mindset, like, well, all our systems are critical. They always need to be up all the time. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas you need to have that maturity of like, well, actually, you know, that's probably not where we need to be and that's slowing us down. You know, every additional nine- shoot for four nines, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Every additional nine we're trying to get to is just, it's it's punishing, right? That slows us down. We're not doing feature development. Um, it, It is- Something where I think you like, as you said, like it's the culture change, mm. and you need needs to be <laughs> needs to be within the development teams, but it also needs to be from above as well. Like you need to have support mm. from your directors and your VPs and that kind of stuff to be able to handle. Like, yep, yeah, stuff will go down sometimes, all right. And if we're yep. not breaking things, we're probably moving too slowly. I had an old engineering manager, and his saying was, uh, if you're not sitting on the edge of your seat, <laughs> you're taking up too much room. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the maturity of, like, uh, having, um, you know, error budgets and SLOs mm. and SLIs. Well, that's on the assumption that they actually have monitoring in place to get those metrics. All right, true. Yeah, you, you've, you've got me on that one. It's naked, right? <laughs> yeah, you need to have a real idea of, like, well, what, what are we actually sitting yeah. at at the moment? Like, what's yeah. our and current? Uh, <laughs> you, you can bet, like, a lot of places don't. They just, that monitoring is like, like an afterthought, right? Let's, let's get the app in, let's deploy the app, and it runs, and that's it. Yeah. Right now, if something goes down, we've got to jump, go around to, like, 20 different boxes and check like three or four different firewalls and, yeah. and try and figure out what the problem is. Yeah, we got a call from the help desk. And there's like three people have called saying that it's down. Like, oh, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> What's with that? And unfortunately, that's the reality of a lot of places, mm. right? The SRE model that you you went through is nice, but it it's really a pipe dream for a lot of places. Like, um, I think that you're right. Like having centralized monitoring and logging at a minimum is the requirement. And then once you've got that, then starting to build out, you know, metrics and using tooling like, um, you know, checking like your uptime checks and, you know, mm. things like cloud trace to get your, your latency side of things. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, Putting I- all those metrics in there and, and you can actually set an SLO and an error budget in, in, uh, in cloud monitoring. You mm-hmm. can do that. In cloud operations. Yeah. And in fact, actually, um, I the other day, actually, I was experimenting around with um, the uptime monitors in, in cloud monitoring. Mm. And um, and I, I was doing that just for some personal projects. Um, I wanted to check a few things out and was pleasantly surprised that that doesn't even get charged. So, oh, no. so no. I'm like, yeah. great, why wouldn't I put all of my services in there, and at least I can get the uptime checks. I can get latency from like five places around the world. Um, it's actually really fully featured as well. Like it doesn't just do like pings. You can tell it to different endpoints, different protocols. What are you actually expecting to see as a response? Yeah, you can do it like a full transaction. Yeah. So like now we're in a world where you know it is easier than ever to have centralized monitoring, logging, uptime checks, you can have all these things. And then once you've got that, you can start moving into a, you know, an SRE model, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just got to make a decision on what it is, 
you need to monitor or what what's an acceptable level of um, you know uptime or mm-hmm. acceptable SLO, and I think that's probably part of the problem. A lot of companies just don't know. They just say, "Well, it needs to be up all the time." Yeah. Why? Like, okay, that's great, but like, it, it's actually not achievable, and it it does mean when it is down, all it's all it's going to happen is just going to be panic, and everyone's just going to be playing. There's going to be blame games everywhere. That's not what you want. Right? You want to say, right, we're, we're shooting for three nines, four nines, whatever you whatever you want. Uh, knowing that it's going to cost you more, the more nines you have, um, and it will slow you down as well. Uh, but put something in. Yeah. Make a decision on, on where you want to be. Either way, whichever model you end up going down, whether it's, you know, devs own it and run it, or you do split it, you still have a, you know, an ops team, but they're more of a cloud ops team, or you have SRE, like whatever model you end up down, Move away from having the wall of confusion, right? Just at the bare minimum, have your devs and your ops team chatting. Yeah, yep, yep. Weekly standups, maybe or something, yeah. so they can can update on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we we uh, we project we were on. We did a uh, we did a brown bag, and it was really for the ops team, right? And uh, a couple of the dev guys came. Oh, they were so keen, and they had really good they questions. So keen, and their questions were just on a different sort of perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the talk was pitched at the ops guys, and uh, it, they just threw a whole new light on on the way we sort of presented it and talked about some of the things. And everyone was um, it turned out really well in the long run. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that was that was really good sharing that knowledge, getting an idea about okay, how the environment is actually all stitched together. Even if they don't yep. need to touch it, they don't need to make changes in that space, but they have an idea about how communication gets from like one part of their app to the other. Yep. And it was both ways as well. Like they they told us a bunch of stuff about uh, the way it should work and the way thing, you know, the flows work, but we were also able to feed back to them and say, look, this is part of the infra that you don't normally see, but this is how it gets to your app. And it was you know, a light bulb moment for them as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, now it's all in infrastructure's code for them, and everyone can see it. Yeah, 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 really good. All right, well, I think we've uh, we've done that piece. Uh, well, I'm not going to say justice, but we, we talked about it for a while. Go and have a read of the article. It's it's an interesting read, and um, if you're um, new to DevOps or you're um, you know for more familiar with the way things were done 20 years ago, then then uh, yeah, it might be interesting for you as well. <laughs> I mean, if you're uh, if you're really new or to to the DevOps approach, or you're just like you're wondering what it's all about, right? You're in a, a traditional infrastructure yep. space. Go off and and read or get the audio book of the Phoenix Project, right? And then follow that oh, up right. with the, the DevOps handbook. Because geez, the the Phoenix Project, especially for if you've been an in house like support guy or infrastructure engineer, the way that starts, like that's the world. You, like there are situations in there, you're like oh, I've been in that meeting, I've met that person, <laughs> um, and you know it. The story really does take you down, like, like the, the steps that the guy, the team makes to shift towards DevOps, and how you know. Obviously, it's a a big success in their project, but um, it's uh, I would recommend that to everyone. Yeah, okay, it is uh, on the Goodreads list as well. So uh, it's I'm just seeing now. I've not read this, Dave, so oh, I have to read that's it. That's well worth Amazon it. Amazon gives it gives it four point seven out of five. Okay, hmm. yeah, nice. I have to read it. 
Yeah, excellent. There's, there's uh, a good a audiobook no- version of, on Audible. So, yeah, yeah, it's a novel about IT DevOps and helping your business win. Yeah, and then there's a there's a <laughs> companion guess- book called the DevOps Handbook. Um, and okay. then you've also got your oh, there's the the Google SRE book. Which really I've read those, yeah, I'm sure, yep. yeah. <laughs> and I, th- I think we linked those in previous show, show yeah, as well. Right. The Google Reso. they are free. They're available uh, srebooks.com, I, I believe. Sre.book maybe, or it's it's something. Yeah, sre.google. Oh, there you go, and there you go. You'll get them. All right, let's move on with the last article here. Um, the emerging workforce. Apparently, overwhelmingly, prefer, overwhelmingly prefers Google Cloud productivity and collaboration tools over other alternatives. This was interesting. I mean, this was a survey done of uh, like a whole load of like college graduates in the US. Yeah. Um, 750 students. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 52 colleges. Right. And they, uh, I, I think that the, the results were, were very interesting, obviously, for like a, a new batch of people joining the workforce and what tools that they want to use. Um, I think it was uh, like resounding. I mean, the sort of the numbers that we had in here, like 86% preferred Google Docs over Word. Yeah. 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 75% Google Slides preferred Google Slides over PowerPoint. Uh, 62. Yeah, 62% for Sheets over Excel. Excel. Right, <laughs> the gold standard spreadsheet. The gold standard, for, of, of which they have the Excel World Championships. Oh, that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and seventy-five percent choose Google Workspace, while only twenty-two selected Microsoft three sixty-five, with three percent saying they had no prefer- preference. And you know, well, I mean, that's, I'm that's not resounding. surprised, right? Like this. So, like here at uh, at Casner as part of you know, Mantle Group, we mm-hmm. use uh, we use Google Workspace, right? And and this was the first time that I have used it professionally. Like I I yep. used it a little bit in my personal world, but this was the first company I joined where like I didn't have Outlook installed, right? I'm not using PowerPoint <laughs> for anything. Yeah, there was a learning Don't need for it. sure, no. but. Uh, Although I really like it now, like after after a couple of months, I wouldn't want to go back. Oh, there's no way. There's no way I'd go back to emailing attachments and no. Um, it's so oh, easy just- to just share a, a file with someone. Actually, I, I mentioned Excel before. Like, I really like Google Sheets. I've switched to using that in my personal life now. Like, yeah, it, it's way better having everything just online, and it's so easy to share one with somebody else. I don't have to go, oh, I'll put this file in my OneDrive or on oh, SharePoint. And I'll send you a thing and you can, edit, yeah. And you can work on it collaboratively, yeah. right? Like Little comments yeah. to each other. I can just, I could at you and you get a little uh, chiclet there and, oh, so cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, if, yeah, use it like, uh, you're right. I think this is the first time I've really used, other than, I mean, uh, obviously Confluence is a big collaborative oh, yes, tool, yeah. right? And it's, it's, Use the use that for years and years and years, but this for me as well at Kazan. This is my first professional time using this kind of fully collaborative tool suite, and it was an eye opener, mm. absolute eye opener. Uh, email is virtually non existent, yeah. Um, it's it, it's other than oh, you know, you get tagged in a document, I'll just go straight to the document, have a look, right? Um, uh, the only yeah. the only downside 
is, uh, and I'm I'm bad for this, and I, I haven't found out a way yet to fix it. Um, is I'm really bad at having like mail tabs sprawling everywhere. <laughs> so I might have like five <laughs> versions of like mail.google open in like a whole bunch of different windows and an email will come in and I get five notifications. Uh, <laughs> that's, my, that's my only one. I don't have uh, I'll show you. I sh- look, I'll give you a little hack on that yeah. one. You could go right click here and you can pin. You can pin a tab and you pin it to the first tab and you know your mail's always there. Oh. Now, I've not done it on this window. I've done it on my other windows. Right, and that will, that will always remain there. Oh, look at you. Oh, I, yeah. I actually did learn, uh, this is the completely separate to uh, to Google Docs and stuff, but I did learn something the other day about like setting up groups of tabs. You can do groups. That's the next thing I was going to mention yeah, as that's, well. I've just yeah. started doing that. I'm like, oh, that's great. I can collapse just those set of tabs. And Anyway. Yeah. Yep. You combine that with pinning and it's really powerful. And you can always just pin your... your 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 Gmail and your calendar is like the first two tabs, yeah, and you're yeah, not go you're not calendar. constantly <laughs> hunting around for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you combine. I know people don't people bag Chrome; they don't like Chrome. But you combine uh, the Google Workspaces with Chrome, and yeah, it's it's mind bending what the kind of things you can do with it like that for sure um to improve your workflow and then if you're you know couple that with like a, a chrome os device <laughs> you know you're all internet uh enabled yeah, everywhere you're going a little bit far there dave <laughs> <laughs> like, a, a lot of employees not necessarily here but in a lot of companies their entire world is uh, lived in a web browser pretty much and if you move yeah. um, the only reason they need like a laptop is so that they can have their office suite installed and if their yeah. office suite is web based then probably don't need to have Windows yeah and something just crossed my mind going back to this poll um, they polled 750 college students now I know in the US um, Google was pretty um, you know pretty full on with getting Google into schools, mm. Google Classroom into schools. And, you know, my kids are on Google Classroom in the school. And, I mean, that's really just to prime them to get used to using the Google ecosystem. Now, if, uh, I don't know, how, how long have they been doing that in the US? Oh, 10 years, years yeah. probably? So these college students, you know, you know 18, 19, 20 um, they were, you know, 10 years old and they would have been given a Google laptop on in the Google ecosystem and that's what they've grown up knowing. And then especially with how much everything ramped up, you know, from like 2020 onwards. That's right. They would have been on it more and more um, at home in ISO and all the rest of it. Of course they like Google workspaces more. Yeah. That's what they've grown up with. So, yeah, definitely, you know, something to think about. Um, mm. No, it's it's can be challenging to make that change, especially if, you know, you, you've had a whole organization like, hey, we've been using, you know, Office forever. <laughs> you know, we've still got yep. Access yep. 95 database <laughs> oh. somewhere, which runs like it's critical. We can't be without that. But, you know, if you're not quite as entrenched like that, well, think about what you want to use. Yeah. And yep. Um, I'm, still, I'm still working on my wife as well. She's I've moved her into... Uh, workspaces, but she's not quite using the um, the app full app suites yet. She's still on the, the office suite of tools. Gotcha. So, yep. yep. 
Now, I find that uh, sometimes now, because, you know, we're, we're big users of, like, Google Forms internally, right? Like, we everything, like organizing a pizza party, let's we'll send that a Google Form. Send out a form, and, yeah. Um, yeah, I know uh, I hear from, like, uh, my wife or friends, like, they'll be doing something at their work, and it'll be like, oh, just, yeah, use a Google Form for it. And they're like, oh, no, but we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, I'm sure there's maybe good. there's Microsoft Forms. I don't, you have to Google it yourself. <laughs> don't know. Go find something. I can't help you with that. <laughs> yeah, you need to have it. Anyway, we might finish up there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, sounds good. I think that was we've a fun one to finish while. up on. We have. We have indeed. All right. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you're probably listening either on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You can also listen on the website directly. Uh, if you're not uh, listening to one of those, then uh, go and go and do that because that'll really help the stats. And go and write the show a review as well, either on iTunes. Uh, I don't know. Can you do reviews on Spotify? I don't know. I'll have to have a look. But uh, yeah, make sure you do that because that'll really help the show out. Uh, you can contact the show, gcplife at casna.com.au. We've got the Twitter there as well, at gcplife. Uh, and you can Google us uh, at the website. You'll find us uh, on Casna website and of course today's sponsor is Casna. Casna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. You got anything else for us, Dave? No, I'm uh, you know, heading into the weekend soon and uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting out to the garden enjoying some spring weather. Yeah, spring has sprung indeed. Yeah, I gotta clean the yard up. The dogs destroyed it. <laughs> Between the dogs and the chickens, huh? <laughs> That's it, the dogs and the chickens. All right, that'll be about it for us for two weeks. We'll catch you later. All right, catch ya. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 22 for the 2nd of December, 2022. September, not December. I said September, didn't I? You said December. And I have the recording. (laughs) God. I I didn't, I I knew the date thing was going to be a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to- Come in with um, seconds since the Unix epoch. (laughs) 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 Ha, ha, ha.